0: Hello and welcome again to our Trino uh, community broadcast. We can all stop banging your heads with the music that you love all so much. Because, you know, <laughs> we really got the hang of that one. Today, there's even five of us. Uh, so we are, as, uh, as usual, distributed around the world. We have Gunnar joining us from Germany. Hi there. Asha from India and Ayush from India. Hi. And Brian is in the States and I'm in Canada. So uh, as hey. usual, a wider range of really interesting people joining us and lots of topics coming up. So what's happening today, Brian?
1: Yeah, so I think today is going to be uh, talking about something, this really interesting concept called uh, change data capture. Uh, so uh, this may be foreign to a lot of people in the Trino space. It may, I've, I've seen it come up a couple of times. So clearly some of you out there are are already aware of this, um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's this interesting little piece where, you know, you get a whole lot of different data sources uh, or particularly, particularly just data uh, places where you're holding your data and, you know, ideally, there's kind of like operational databases, or, or maybe a kind of a source of truth on, on some of this data. And, and ultimately, you know, you need to uh, figure out a way to if you're making a copy of that, maybe for analytics purposes, or, you know, maybe there's just another reason why you haven't uh, have to pull it into another data source, you know, you ultimately are going to be having dealing with multiple copies around uh, your, your entire platform and, and all of your analytics and, and whatnot. And we especially see that a lot on the Trino side. So it makes a lot of sense why why this is coming up and. In topic in the trino uh uh um uh, kind of uh slack channels and uh we see it a couple times i think on twitter uh they, it, somebody reached out to ashar this was the initial prompting to to get this episode oh, yeah. i think this got this got us me talking to gunnar uh as well so so then this this started our initial conversation around this whole thing and uh yeah somebody was just like hey you know i have this whole Debezium plus trino thing and, I, and and to me at the point i was like why? why is this coming up like I, I just don't I didn't see the parallel quite quite right away so I was like you know we need to figure out what this is and then like talk about it because ultimately dealing with all of these data sources you need to have them in sync so we're going to jump into a little bit of that uh here in just a minute um, and uh, uh, definitely going to be talking about what is change data capture. What is one of these really cool implementations of change data capture that Gunnar is going to be telling us more about called Debezium And uh, then we're going to hear about how these are have been implemented by one of our own Starburst engineers, Ashar. Before he was here, he was at a, a in a previous life was at a Delivery uh, implementing this this pattern that we're starting to see emerge. And then now uh, in today's world in Zamato, Ayush is going to be telling us a lot about that as well. So really interested to hear uh, how like the pain points that this, this change data capture stuff solves as well as uh, kind of how it, it fits into the whole Trino architecture. So um, before we jump into that, uh, let's go have a quick word from our sponsor, Starburst.
2: I'm Colleen Tarto. I am the director of engineering on Starburst Galaxy
1: what is it actually offering? So, I mean, I I think this kind of like builds on some of the open source Trino stuff, but is it doing a lot more? Uh, What, what kind of pains is it solving? Could you kind of uh, uh, give us a little bit of insight on, on what actual pain this is going to be uh, uh, alleviating?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so to, to think about that, I always like to go back and think about what's the difference between Starburst Enterprise and, Trino, right? And so I always like to think of Starburst Enterprise as the cool older sibling to Trino. It's a little bit more mature, a little cooler. It's got a a car. It's got some cool stuff going on, leather jacket, you know? Um, And Trino is awesome in its own right, don't get me wrong, but Starburst Enterprise is just better and a bit more grown up. And specifically what that means to me is that with Enterprise, you get more. You get more functionality, faster performance, more connectors, more security, better management, better integration into the ecosystem of tools that you already use today, data governance, integration, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but what really speaks volumes to me is that when you use Starburst Enterprise, you get Starburst, right? You get best in class support from the folks who work for us and they know Trino best because they created Trino and they're con- continuing to contribute to Trino. Um, but Starburst Galaxy takes that to a whole other level, right? So. One of the pain points is installing, managing, maintaining, monitoring Starburst Enterprise. And so Starburst Galaxy alleviates all that. Right. So it's um, a fully managed service. It's Starburst Enterprise as a managed service and more. And one last question. Is uh, there going to be any free offerings coming up anytime soon? Is that on the road? Absolutely. We're building out. We've got a free trial um, so if you're interested, absolutely reach out to us. We are very excited about it. Um, and then we're talking about sort of a free tier. So like being able to just play around with it in your own environment and see what's what.
1: We'll keep you all uh, up to date on when you can start to play around with Galaxy and Trina uh, for free for just a little bit and uh, get to know this incredible service called Starburst Galaxy. Thank you so much, Colleen.
2: Thank you.
0: All right, cool. Let's jump right in. Uh, before we do that, though, uh, I want to give everyone uh, of our guests a quick, a quick uh, chance to talk about themselves and how what they're doing, uh, and then we'll we'll jump into three sixty one. So, Gunnar, why don't you start your your the sort of in between us all in over there in <laughs> Germany? You were saying right. earlier. Yeah, yeah.
3: So hey there, everybody. I'm gonna, I work as a software engineer at Red Hat. And in particular, I work on this project called Debezium, which as Brian already mentioned, is an open source platform for change data capture. So you can use it to ingest changes out of your different databases into Kafka or other messaging infrastructure. I've been doing a few other open source uh, things. Um, I'm one of the Java champions. Um, Yeah, I guess that's about it.
1: Nice.
0: Awesome, and then, of course, Asher, we all know about already. Uh, I work with him quite a bit on the docs. He's a super helpful uh, developer on Trino and maintainer um, at Starburst. So say hi, Asher, and maybe introduce yourself. A bit more. Hi,
4: everyone. Yeah, I'm Asher. I work as a software engineer at Starburst uh, on Starburst Enterprise, and I'm also a maintainer at uh, for Trino. So I also take care of the Trino project. And I'm based out of India, and that's basically it. Nice,
0: Cool. and you you are you know Ayush somehow directly because or have you ever yeah. met? Well, uh,
4: we are actually college friends. Uh, we both oh, did our so. engineering courses together and yeah. we live in practically the same city.
1: The strongest part. <laughs> <laughs> <courses. laughs>
5: awesome. So tell us some more about yourself Ayush. Hi, everyone. I'm. I use an am data platform engineer at Semato. I have been there for around two years and I help build a platform there. Okay, cool,
0: awesome. And so, of course, you're also using Trino, I'm hoping. Yeah.
3: So, I got to admit, I'm not using Trino, but I would like to know and learn more about it, right? So, I hope uh, we can do that. that, uh, Just wait, uh, just wait. You'll soon be using Trino. (laughs) Awesome.
1: (laughs) All right, uh, Manfred. uh, So, last last episode, we didn't get uh, a juicy release to jump into this episode. We got some cool stuff to talk about including the PR of the week this this episode we get to talk about one of the features but won't be talking uh, won't try to spoil too much of the surprise there go ahead and tell us what's going on in 361
0: yeah so after reaching 360 and full circle last time now we are 361 already and in the announcements uh, martin mentioned a few things that are pretty cool i think um the one that's uh, from the pr uh, of the week that we'll talk about later is the aggregation pushdown for the Pinot connector um, if you're interested in the Pinot Connector, by the way, we had a Twinot Community Broadcast episode a while back, so check that out. Um,
1: that episode 13, I
0: believe. Yeah, awesome. Um, and then uh, there's support for OAuth 2 and OIDC uh, with access tokens. Um, the parquet file reading was improved. And then um, somebody got something merged about JSON values in Elasticsearch. Oh, Elasticsearch, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I can about...
1: talk a little bit about that if you wanted to. That's that's actually a really neat uh, uh, one for Elasticsearch. If anybody who's using the Elasticsearch connector, if you've been having all sorts of troubles when you, uh, w- one of the difficulties with Elasticsearch is that you have to map a NoSQL like uh, data store to like SQL columns and stuff like that. So, like if you have all these nested values and the traditional stuff that you get with documents, you have to figure out a way to actually like show that. And so sometimes to actually tell Trino how to parse that, there are like these special objects in Elasticsearch that they introduced randomly and all this other stuff, and, and sometimes we just don't support that because it's just not a SQL construct. So we we had to devise a way for you to basically say, okay, this special object, this like JSON, GeoJSON G- object, or all this other stuff that, you know, Elasticsearch supports that we don't internally support in, in Trinosite side, or I think they have other special objects, or just this super heavy, heavily nested, uh, set of, uh, uh, like, let's just say properties, you know, we we don't want to necessarily, you know, uh, represent those as anything other than a JSON column that comes back as a string. So now this basically allows you to say just treat this as a, as a JSON uh, raw JSON string and then put that into a single column. And then you don't have to worry about all of that uh, traditional stuff that you know caused
0: all of your queries to
1: fail in Elasticsearch. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, that's a little more information on that particular
0: data. Yeah, uh, interesting aspect uh, for people that, that run into that. It's pretty common because like, obviously Elasticsearch is a document storage system. So who knows what the hell the document is in there, right? Yep. Exploding that into a table structure is tricky. And um, if you don't and use this new functionality, you still have access to the data because it's now a, a basically a text field that contains JSON. And the functions support in Trino includes a lot of uh, parsing yeah. methods for especially parsing JSON. So it's yeah. not like it's hidden. You just have to kind of write it yourself because you know the data better and data and... Can sort of like cherry pick on what you want yep. pull out. and that so can all cool. be done from
1: the SQL interface. You don't have to like mess. Once you've set that as the JSON property, you don't have to go messing with anything else outside of the SQL uh, part itself. So really, pretty cool.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, is that the PR that you were mucking around, or is yours coming soon too? Because that, I'm that looking was forward. Mine. That was yours. Huh? Huh? So very yeah. well done. <laughs> um, I've also been working with Suman recently, by the way. Um, he's well, getting some more Elasticsearch stuff happening. So stay tuned for that. Um, lots of cool uh, uh, Elasticsearch on the way. So always good to see. And maybe Asha can take a peek and help us merge it, right? <laughs> <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um, and then what else did I find? Um, predicate pushdown in the Cassandra connector was added. Added. Um, there's a metadata cache size limitation in a few connectors that was added in a bunch of them, actually, as a feature. Um, that can be very helpful. Uh, metadata caching is very important sometimes uh, because a lot of uh, like DB uh, and business intelligence tools often pull a lot of the metadata just to populate like a tree of all the tables and all the columns and stuff in a UI or so. Uh, caching can be uh, quite useful for that, but limiting is also sometimes important for the performance to have it under control. So, that's a new feature. There were a whole bunch of improvements for the Hive view support. So, as you know, for the Hive support, uh, like for the support to read Hive views, so views written in HiveQL, not in SQL, Um, we used the Core library. We talked about that in another episode a while ago. Uh, (laughs) I don't know the number, but uh, we can dig it out and you can look it in the show notes. (laughs) 18 was the view, view one, right? Yeah. Wow, you like 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 a, like an encyclopedia yeah. of media <laughs> broadcast episodes. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, so that's that's been updated. The Coral Library has a lot more features now, and that's getting better and better all the time. And then another thing is Glue table stats uh, got improvements. So Glue, uh, Amazon Glue, can often be used as a replacement for a Hive metastore with the Hive so connector. And, um, and performance improvements for that are always welcome uh, oh, because huge, it gets yeah. it gets pretty pretty heavily hit by uh, like Pino and uh, Aquarius. That's awesome. all I had. Now, of course, Asha is a maintainer. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, did you get anything done that you thought was really cool? <laughs> yeah, so what I did you the- last uh, week? <laughs> yeah,
4: one of the, I think one of the most uh, impactful things I personally saw was the aggregation pushdown for Pino. Yeah. Because uh, it is something that a lot of people were waiting for. Uh, and uh, a lot of effort went into making it work for almost everything that uh, we can push down to Pinot. Yeah,
1: yeah, awesome. that one's a huge one. There's also one thing in coming up on the Trino Summit. Uh, the implementer of the Pinot connector, uh, Elon, he's going to be doing a talk with uh, one of the creators of Pinot, uh, Jing. And uh, and those those were also the two that joined us for the that uh, previous episode. So definitely, if you're, uh, um, uh, and this is also getting into uh, quick announcement, uh, Trino Summit is coming up in October. Um, so definitely sign up for that. The link is uh, in the show notes. Um, and so yeah, uh, they're going to be talking about uh, this some of these latest aggregation pushdowns, as well as some of the other features that have have recently landed, uh, as well as some of the ones that are about to come up. And so yeah, I mean, huge for real time. I know. P- has gotten a lot of uh, traction now that they they created uh, tree which is the the enterprise version around around that, and so they have a lot more resources now uh, going into the open source project there. So pretty exciting stuff, and uh, really excited to hear about all the all the latest greatest coming in that way, including this aggregation pushdown is huge. So
0: awesome. So how about you you just, you all start to enlighten me about CDC because I'm really interested. So uh, and yeah, CDC means nothing to me. So Gunnar, do you want to like kick kick us off a bit oh yeah sure
1: well let's quickly go into the uh, we're forgetting the the introduction here off to the concept of the week Gunnar. Right. Now Gunnar, go, please. Right. <laughs>
3: so we need to get one way uh, one thing out of the way. So CDC it does not stand for centers of disease control yeah. in that context. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It also does not stand for the Caribbean Developers Conference um <laughs> There's a few more actually, so people are, tend to get confused about it. Yeah, no, here I had to it's avoid about that
1: CDC. I had to avoid the CDC hashtag, oh, for, because I was like, yeah, that's totally gonna get misrepresented. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's, it's, it's yeah. weird. But you know, there was this time when there was this
3: meme like CDC says do this or do that, and I oh, what's what's what is this about it? <laughs> but it's not about that CDC. Yeah, yeah. So here is changing the capture really, and um. The idea actually is pretty simple. So what it means is really, whenever something changes in your database, um, be the MySQL database or Postgres or whatever database you have there, when something changes there, you would like to react to that uh, data change. So let's say something gets inserted or something gets updated or something gets deleted, you would like to react to the change. And this is what CDC enables. And it does that by tapping essentially into the transaction log of the database. So in a nutshell, all the databases, uh, they have uh, what's called a transaction log. Sometimes it's called a write-ahead log or um, commit log. There's different names. And really this transaction log, that's the source of truth in a database. So whenever a SQL statement comes in, um, essentially an event will be appended to this transaction log. And now if we go to the transaction log and extract uh, the information from there, that's the exact source of uh, truth and the source of data we would like to have. Yeah. So that's what CDC does. Um, So it gets changes out of a database and now you would like to react to that. So you would like to have some sort of consumers um, which can take the data and, for instance, just write it somewhere and I will talk a little bit about use cases. But... um, now, in order to connect uh, this change event source, which would be a CDC or a Debezium as one particular implementation and the event consumers, you typically have something there in between like Apache Kafka, which allows you to have a loose coupling between uh, those systems. And, you know, you can do things like replay events um, and so on. So that's CDC in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say, the first thing I think of, too, when you're talking about like logs, you know, a lot of times people will say like kind of logs or events, and I start to think about like Kafka and a lot of that, you know, and you just to, by describing that, you know, because when you're thinking about capturing some event that happens to a database, immediately go to like event sourcing or event event platforms like Kafka like that. So right. it just feels like a natural fit there, right? Did you talked a little bit about, about kind of how those two kind of interplay. Oh, yeah. I mean, the
3: the funny thing there is you essentially have the same sort of concepts, I would say, applying at uh, different levels. So, in particular, when you say this concept of um, event sourcing, you also actually have that uh, within a database. Because if you think about it, the transaction log, that's uh, like your event log, and now your actual table files. And I'm not an implementer of a database, but I can speak roughly about it. The the table files, they are essentially like uh, views which are materialized from this uh, this, this log, and you can query those views. So, it's a little bit like like event sourcing within a database, but now you also can take this and externalize it. And um, essentially uh, you could do something like having Kafka as your event source and then different external databases or systems as those views. So in a way, um, I believe Jake Krebs once said like that, uh, your whole data center is like a database in, in that sort of model.
1: That is really cool. Yeah, I actually yeah. have never heard that analogy get brought up, but yeah, that's, that's totally... It t- totally makes sense, and and uh, like you were saying, I ne- like thinking of the table as a view. Essentially, you know, if we're looking at this full scale with uh, with Trino on this now. Right. Uh, let me let me just go ahead and and as. Uh, 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 scroll down just a, a second. To I'm going to steal from a uh, future Zamato architecture slide. Mm-hmm. But if we look at this full scale of what you were just talking about, you know, Kafka now sits there as the the event uh, logs. DBeam is is essentially the 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 thing that's pulling those those you know the aggregation of all of those different data data logs and trying to and pulling them into uh, Kafka. And then Trino is essentially that view that you were just talking about that table that sits and and just kind of talks to uh, something like uh you know like kafka or or you can essentially say we source it into something like iceberg or or Hive or something like that and so so that's essentially this this you know this giant database you know you're you're looking at we we call it a platform nowadays but you know it's like that's that's essentially a giant database with all of the smaller databases that, that support it that's a really cool view on 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 how to describe uh cdc and all that so so that's, that's exactly it. Right. That's, that's it. The whole show, everybody. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
3: Uh, have a good day. Um, and I mean, so I, I believe we, we should talk about why I believe this is interesting and why I see this is taking off a lot right now, And as you witness it, right? So you in the yeah. Trino community, you get in touch with that and it pops up for you. And the question is, why is this? And I would say um, well, people don't use technology for its own sake, right? They want to yeah. solve problems with it. And in my Opinion change the capture is really a huge enabler for doing all kinds of things with your data. So the first and I guess the most prominent use case for it probably is just propagating or replicating data from a database to some other database or some other data store, I should say. Yeah, Typically, yeah. you would, for instance, do that if you would like to take your data from your operational database to something like an analytics system, maybe Pino, for instance, we, we see that a lot, um, or your Elasticsearch index or your cache. So you would like to keep those systems in sync and CDC enables that, right? We can see it here on, on, on that chart a little bit, right? So you have something like Elasticsearch as a full text search engine. Yeah. Um, and and you, why you want to use it? Well, you can do text search in your database, but not as good, right? You would yeah, rather yeah. use a dedicated system just focused on that purpose, like Elasticsearch or OpenSearch, maybe. Who knows? Um, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Ooh. you can yeah, you can <laughs> use CDC and Dibesium to keep those uh, things in sync. Or maybe you do uh, have this use case which needs to have this super high performance. You want to do a very fast lookups so you like to have a cache in there, like um, I don't know, if he's Hazelcast, hazel Koss, yeah. what have you. And, of course, this cache, again, it needs to be kept in sync with uh, your operational database, and CDC will let you do that. So that's, uh, you know, data replication in the widest sense, but then you can do more things with that. For instance, you could also use it for syncing data between your microservices. So that's something, and I guess we will talk a little bit about later on, where people use this um, Outbox pattern um, for propagating data between their microservices. So that's a super interesting use case. You can use it to drive streaming queries. Uh, So I also see that more and more where Mm -hmm. people have, this kind of continuous query which runs all the time, and whenever its input data changes, it just emits a new result. And well, this input data again it can be CDC. So really I would say it's a huge enabler for all this kind of use cases. And that's why I think we are seeing more and more usage because it allows you it, lo- it allows people to do many interesting things with it, really.
1: Yes so, I'd like to pick out actually one of those use cases that you, you you did say like microservices so today we're we're talking a lot in the context of like you know looking at the events uh, the event logs of databases right but you're even saying like if you have a, a microservices uh, architecture set up so some you know service mesh uh going on and right. you know there are there are you know there's let's say people are uh you know doing some sort of like event clicking or something like clicking around on a website or something like that and you're you're you know processing those clicks and going to the uh, going to the uh, service in the back end so you know you're, you're saying that CDC can also be applied in these instances where you're trying to actually like take those events of clicks or anything that's happening uh, that that's getting uh, observed uh, by the uh, by the service layer and then you know propagating that somewhere else maybe to even another just just directly to another app it's not even necessarily even to a database yet you could be you know telling that to some other application in your service mesh
3: yes uh, definitely I mean so maybe to give some context there. So yes, as we discussed, the Debezium or CDC as a concept, it taps into the transaction log of your database. And um, well, now what comes as a side effect of doing that is you tend to expose your schema of your database to all kinds of uh, downstream consumers, and some people are happy with that. They believe into this uh, democratization of uh, data or raw data, and they you know they feel like it's good. We expose this data directly to all the consumers, and they always have like the latest schema. the The data is fresh and whatnot, so they're happy with that. But then there's another camp, and they think, well, I don't want to expose my schema as much. Uh, I you know I would I would like to have some separation there. I would like to be able to let's say evolve my internal database schema without directly impacting any consumers. And this is uh, what you can do also uh, by means of just having what's called an outbox table. So in that case, you essentially have your source application and it not only updates its own internal tables, but then it also inserts an event into this outbox table. And then CDC would just capture the events from this outbox table and then propagate those outbox events to consumers. And there's a very important reason for doing that is, And that is, well if you have a database and and in terms of microservices, each service should have its own database, right? They shouldn't share databases. Now what often happens is a service would like to update its own database. And then it also would like to send a message to another service via Kafka or something like that. And Mm -hmm. the thing is you cannot do those two things, updating your database, and sending something via Kafka uh, at the same time, because um, there wouldn't be any transactional guarantees. So you are prone to essentially inconsistencies. It could happen, you update your database, but then you, you know, this sending of the event to Kafka that fails for whatever reason. And the outbox pattern helps to address that because you only write to your database and then you capture the changes from the database over to Kafka and you don't have this potential for inconsistencies by this dual write
0: approach. Gotcha. So I have a, I have a question then so sure. you were saying CDC looks at the transaction log of a database how does that compare to ETL processing then ETL, like from my understanding ETL the difference then would be that ETL looks at the actual table not the transaction right. log yes or?
3: and um and in particular also what when I speak about CDC here this is uh, what we also call log based CDC which is uh, different from what uh, you would call a polling-based CDC approach. For instance, um, this means now we will uh, we will get all the changes. So never ever will something be, be missed. Whereas if you do some polling-based approach, which you might have done with a traditional ETL pipeline, for instance, well, um, you might miss intermediary updates. So let's say you poll once every five minutes. If there are updates in between, you just wouldn't see those intermediary states. Or maybe in the worst case, some, something gets, Inserted and deleted right away, um, and you might never know about it because you just happen to pull, you know, before and after that, and uh, you wouldn't have that with the log-based approach because everything goes to the transaction log, um, all the inserts, all the deletes, so you will never ever miss anything. So I would say that's the key advantage of this log-based approach
1: that's okay, also, cool. it's also so, doing a change you know based on log changes right you're not actually recording it's kind of similar to like you know doing anything in Git or anything like that you're not having to record the entire state every single time
0: <laughs> yeah right so so tell us about Debezium then how that works and like what like when you say transaction log what transaction log does that link into and, and how, how does that hang together
3: Okay, right. So yeah, so there's CDC as a concept and now there's different implementations and Debezium happens to be one of them. It's a fully open source, Apache licensed uh, implementation of CDC and it comes with uh, support for a different number of, or for range of databases. So there's connectors for MySQL, Postgres, DB2, Oracle, um, SQL Server, MongoDB, a few others. Um, and it's um, it can be used actually in different ways. So what most of the people do is they use it with Kafka Connect. Um, And for those folks who haven't heard about Kafka Connect, that's essentially part of the Apache Kafka universe. It's a separate project or no, well, I should say a separate runtime process. Um, It's part of the Kafka umbrella. And it's essentially a framework and a runtime for uh, connectors, which either take data into Kafka or take data out of Kafka. So in a nutshell, Debezium is a family of, Kafka Connect source connectors, so they take data from a data source like Postgres or MySQL and put it into Kafka. And then you can use uh, sync connectors, which would subscribe to those topics in Kafka, and they will take the data and you know send it to another data store or microservice or, or whatever there is. And this is really the beauty of this model. All this is uh, configuration-driven. So a typical Debezium user, they don't have to be a programmer. They don't have to be a Java programmer in particular. They really can take those connectors and they can configure them. So they just set up some JSON-based config in that case to deploy those connectors where they specify those are the credentials of my database. That's the host name. Those are the tables I would like to capture, all those kind of things. Um, and then they set up the connector and it runs for them. So they don't have to program. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely.
5: So...
0: So, so you were you were mentioning Kafka and uh, Trino as well. Both of them are written in Java. What about tibesium <laughs> Yeah. So let me
3: see. Uh, most of it, uh, I would say, ninety nine point nine percent is written in Java. Uh, we have a little bit of C in our code base, and this is because for Postgres we need to have what's called a logical decoding plugin, and this. Logical decoding plugin, this actually runs within the database itself. So it's a plugin for Postgres. And now such a Postgres plugin, this needs to be written in C. Whenever there's a bug in that uh, plugin, God forbid it happens (laughs) too often, we need to go to the C code base because we are not big experts. Um, But we can manage it, okay. Um, But yeah, so it's almost uh, Java rather than that.
0: Nice. Awesome.
3: Yeah.
1: Yes. So um, I thought there's a really interesting parallel here that, uh, you know, and we already kind of drew it a little bit, but I, you know, I want to make it abundantly clear is like when you're kind of tapping into this Apache Kafka uh, kind of ecosystem, particularly with Kafka connect, you know, there's all these amazing uh, kind of sync connectors that are are like this, you know, whole uh, bunch of connectors that already exist in this ecosystem. Right. And so basically, you know, you by by default, Debezium becomes this kind of like generic thing that's capable of you know propagating from a whole bunch of things. So you on, on your end, you're sourcing from a lot of different, da- you know, potential data database uh, logs, right? Um, and right. then you uh, the you're able to then plug into this Kafka Connect ecosystem that, you know sinks it into a whole bunch of things and makes this much more generic. I think, you know, before the show, I was talking to Ayushin Ashar, and I think, like, this is um, one of those uh, things that, like, there are other implementations of CDC that you've seen in in the wild, like, and one of them is, like, say, Mongo has their own kind of implementation of CDC. Uh, I know a lot of other operational stores out there. I'm not sure of, like, any any of the other ones that come on the top of my head, but they basically make a way for you to kind of source this. But Debezium kind of takes this uh, more, you know, hey, let's not just do it for one ecosystem. Let's make sure that we're making this capable to be uh, spanned across any of these other, you know, databases as as sinks. And let's like, you know, essentially just make ourselves focused on the one operation that is, you know, pulling in these logs and and syncing them out to just about anything, right? And so this is similar to the thing that we we aim to, uh, to solve or achieve, is let's, you know, on, on the Trino side. Let's make sure that we're able to essentially federate queries that, are, that you know, you're asking ad hoc and be able yeah. to actually uh, pull in data across all of these disparate sources. Right. So, so this is a really, I think, interesting yeah. way. In. And I think this is why we're seeing this pattern where we're seeing DBZium and Trino kind of come together. I feel like that is, is really uh, that generic nature and being able to kind of go across anything. That's, that's, what's bringing these two projects uh, together. Yeah. And, and, and engineers, and, and that's why we brought us together today. So definitely, really,
3: yeah. Nice. I mean, and just to add on that, I mean, we try to emit a unified event format as much as we can, yeah. which means for the, the consumers, it doesn't really matter does this event originally come from MySQL or SQL Server or, you know, a Postgres, they look all the same. MongoDB, it's a bit of an exception because, well, it's a NoSQL data store, so some different rules apply. Yeah. But other than that, uh, we try to have this one unified format, and this makes it very easy for
1: consumers to handle all those events in, in one unified way. Is that an open standard uh, by chance, or anything that you guys have opened, uh, or just so? Kind of
3: no, I mean, I guess like you, you could say to be some sort of a facto standard. I'm not sure whether I should go that far, um, <laughs> but uh, right now, you know, there's no official um, standard uh, which we would implement. What's interesting is um, so. Uh, just on a side note, uh, so we have internally to make our lives easier, we have developed sort of connector frameworks. So the connectors, mm-hmm. we try to share as much code between them as possible, just because otherwise we are a small team, we couldn't maintain yeah. them if they all were distinct. And yeah. interestingly, what we are starting to see now is that mm-hmm. external parties are using that Debezium framework to implement a CDC connector on their site And where we are seeing this is ScyllaDB. Um, which is this mm-hmm. C++ based yep. uh, um, implementation of Cassandra and its uh, um, protocols, right? And so they have implemented the ScyllaDB CDC connector based on a Debezium framework, which also means they emit this Debezium event format. So now again, it doesn't matter even does this event come from ScyllaDB or does it come from you know our own Debezium connector? It's all the same event format.. Has so
0: so it is becoming a bit of a standard then after all, right? Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't uh, complain if you say that. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I, so has has, uh, has Red Hat looked into actually kind of formalizing this or writing documentation around it, or, or is it pretty well uh. documented?
3: There's some ideas. There's some other folks in the community, um, you know, who are driving such an effort. Um, We would have to see how this could happen. You could imagine something being uh, um, placed at CNCF, for instance, so that definitely would be a preference from our side. So have like a neutral uh, governance body for such a, a standard, and we would definitely be interested in contributing to Uh, spec developed at such a place and yeah, then Debezium could uh, develop that and you implement that and you would have even more portability.
1: Yeah, totally. That'd be great. Yeah, I was just, just curious to see what, if any headway had gone, had gone in there because that's, that's definitely a. Yeah. A de- a so super it's not cool something
3: topic. we push for ourselves right now um, because there's just enough on our plates, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I'm <laughs> yeah,
0: sympathetic to that idea. Well, in comparison, the Apache Iceberg project basically just publishes it as part of their project output. And yep. so you could easily do that. And that leads me to another question. So, Debezium, cool. you are at Red Hat. We talked about Apache Kafka. Where is the is it just a repo on GitHub, and that's about <laughs> it, or?
3: Yeah, so it's a, it's as I mentioned, it's an Apache licensed open source project. It's a open source community which happens to live on GitHub. Yes, that's right. Um, the main or let's say the most active de- developers the core team they are indeed employed by Red Hat so I work for Red Hat the other core engineers they work for Red Hat um so Red Hat is the main sponsor there's also I should say that a Red Hat product which is based on Debesium so I got to do that 10 second commercial part yeah. so we have that product okay, Red okay. Hat integration which Red Hat integration uh, that's that's the name okay. of it Cool. Uh, pretty awesome. you know, uh, speaking name, um, and Debezium essentially you know it provides the CDC capability of that product. So there's more to it. there's Kafka support in it and so on. So that's how Red Hat um, you know supports Debezium. And I should also say there's um, what we call community-led connectors. On the same GitHub uh, org, the Debezium GitHub org, there's other connectors like the Cassandra one or like the Vitesse one. And there's engineers from other companies uh, who Hmm. are leading the work and who are, you know, the core maintainers of those uh, connectors.
0: Oh, But you have them in a separate repo. That's interesting.
3: Cool. Yeah, so we have uh, we have you know this one org, the Debezium org, and then there's different uh, connectors. Uh, sorry, different repos for uh, different connectors. Indeed,
1: which you know it isn't like uh, there are people that have various connectors even on the Trino side that they don't necessarily like. Some of them do exist and are maintained outside, and not because we don't necessarily want to bring them on. Like I think for a long time, Pulsar had had their connector. That was uh, outside of uh, that was in their own um, uh, like uh, their own project, and they're just now getting around to like basically putting into the Trino project as well. But right. yeah, I, I think I think so. We even have some uh, outside that, but we we always I think we, we try to yeah, get them house com- as much as possible. But yeah, yeah it's, it's
0: common. Like like we started also. Remember we had this episode not not long ago about DBT, and we ended up like working with Marius to get a DBT Trino yeah. one. Which yeah. episode
3: number was it, Brian?
1: <laughs> I think, uh, oh no i forgot which one that was i think it was 20 but i could be wrong there <laughs> but
0: yeah so so that's interesting um so now i uh, one question gonna when you like talk about all this infrastructure and stuff like that what's involved like with trino for example to run trino you have a coordinator and a bunch of workers on multiple machines with kafka you have like multiple servers and zookeeper and all kinds of chairs like that yeah. What about how, how does that work with Debezium? How how do you run Debezium, Is it like one yeah, server so. cluster or whatever? Yeah, yeah,
3: that's a that's a great question. Um, so you have different different modes uh, or different ways of running it, I should say. So um, let's say the most common deployment model I would say is um, with Apache Kafka. So you would have your Kafka cluster, which, um, as you likely know, will c- have multiple Kafka broker nodes. There still at this point in time you would have Zookeeper nodes for administering the cluster state. This is going to go away in uh, Kafka soon, but for now you would have Zookeeper. I think,
1: didn't they just implement that? I, I thought. Yeah, that it's, was... it's
3: happening right now, so you can nice. use it as a preview already. Um, nice. You can run Zookeeperless oh, Kafka. But it's not stable yet. Not it's in stable. production yet, exactly. Got it. Right. Okay. Um, so that's uh, Kafka and Zookeeper. Then you have this. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Kafka Connect uh, runtime, which again is its own clustered system. So you have, uh, or you can have a cluster of Kafka Connect worker nodes, um, which um, take essentially the Debezium connectors and what's called the connector tasks and they shuffle them around in this connect cluster. So that's how you would run Debezium with Kafka. And this is, I would say, what uh, most people do. Then there's other ways how you can do it. So you can also run it as a library embedded in your Java application or your JVM based application, if that's what you want to do. Or you can do what we see here, you can use Debezium server, which essentially takes the Debezium engine, this embedded mode of running it, and makes it available as a ready to use process. So in in a way it fulfills the same role as Kafka Connect but then with Debezium server, you can use the Debezium connectors and point them to different uh, syn- um well, I should say messaging infrastructure, like Kinesis, Pulsar, um, Azure Event Hubs, um, uh, what else is there, Provega, and quite a few others, Google Cloud, uh, PubSub, and so on. And, you know, that's interesting for those folks who are not running on Kafka for whatever reason, they have this other maybe managed mes- messaging infrastructure, and they can use Debezium server and still use the Debezium connectors and... Bring their messages to those messaging
0: infrastructures, so, so that the ACM server itself is a cluster again. Then, though, potentially. Well, right well.
3: now it's a single process of the. Uh, uh, it's not clustered yet, so the idea there is mm-hmm. you would essentially, uh, you know, if you have multiple connectors, you would spin up multiple instances of this the server effort or project, and well, nowadays. You know, everybody is running on Kubernetes, I guess, or most of people are running on Kubernetes. So we are thinking of having an operator which would then coordinate, um, you know, maybe a, a, a bunch of DBSM server nodes. Yeah. But that's still out in the future.
1: Very cool. Okay.
3: Yeah. So I guess we should make some room for uh, Ashara and Ayush uh, to, to learn what they have to tell about uh, the things.
4: Yeah. One so thing I'd I- like to quickly comment on is that. Uh, one of the parallels that uh, Gunnar was talking about initially about how all the Debezium connectors end up having a common format for their data. That's very similar to what uh, Trino does for consuming them because whatever source you have, you can map it to a relational table and you only need to use ANSI SQL to query them. So whether uh, you use Debezium to Uh, create a copy of your MySQL database in Elastic as a full text index, you can still use SQL to query that data via Trino. So Mm -hmm. I see this as a very nice parallel of how having a uniform interface around things. Yes,
1: definitely. Yeah, that helps helps a a lot. Yeah, Ashar, just tell us a little bit about how. So you, you know, you you're currently working at Starburst, so you're you're all Team Trino now. If that makes sense. Yes. But uh, yeah. what about before? Uh, you know, you, you experienced this exact uh, kind of um, paradigm or or kind of uh, uh, let's say design where, where you're kind of using DBZM and Trino. Could you tell us a little bit about like your experience with doing that in delivery? What pains you were seeing, and then like kind of where where this started to come become more apparent that you needed. Kind of uh, both DBZ and Trino in your architecture.
4: Yeah, so uh, before joining Starburst, I was working at an organization called Delivery. So it's it's a logistic uh, organization, uh, and one of the most uh, I would say common problems any organization faces is having some way to run analytics on the operational data. So. Uh, there are mainly two problems that people face. Either one is that they don't want to disturb their operational processes or databases when running analytics, and the other is that uh, if they try to ship out analytics to a different service or a different system, they need some way to be able to keep them in sync. And if they are not in sync, you are in for a world of pain. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, before we started using the BCM, most of the problems that we would face were around data inconsistency. So some things were missing from the analytics store, or maybe there was some delay in the uh, amount of time that data would take to arrive there. Uh, And that's when we started uh, looking at some way to either reduce the amount of time that it takes to get the data there, and even better, if possible, uh, to make both of those systems consistent. Yeah. So That's uh, when we found Divasium as one of the options. Yeah. Yeah, and you
3: you make a you bring up a good point about latency. So um, maybe to give people one idea how it could work, it uh, you know it depends a lot bit on the database uh, and specifics. But I know, for instance, of uh, some organization they use Debezium with their MySQL databases, and they will they use it to stream data changes into Google BigQuery for analytics purposes. And they have an end-to-end latency below two seconds. So within less than two seconds after a data change in the operational database, they can have the data. They have the data in. in BigQuery and they can run their on it.
4: That is a very good point. So uh, initially we used to have a batch based process where periodically something like, even in the best case, you can maybe do something like uh, every 30 minutes or something. And that is generally not, not enough for, if you want visibility into operational processes. So uh, with Debyseum, we were able to, at least the raw data we were able to land into S3 at uh, below, somewhere around less than five seconds or something, so that almost instantaneously, you could be able to query that data using uh, Trino. Mm-hmm. And if you want to build more uh, uh, refined views over that data, you can obviously process them further and maybe convert them into more columnar formats like ORC or Parquet, and then query them using Trino. And that's essentially where we eventually landed. So. We would use Debezium to uh, capture changes from the operational databases, move them into Kafka, do a little bit of filtering and massaging of things, and maybe uh, mask some fields. And then once that data lands into S3 as a a Parquet file, you can point Trino to it using the Hive connector and Mm. query it on. So
1: Nice. So, Ayush, Why don't you you kind of jump into let's let's get back to Zomato, You know, uh, so I'd like to kind of understand. You know, what what uh, were you all looking at initially before uh, DBZM as well? I'd like to hear some of the 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 probably more recent pains that uh, that you've experienced. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and uh, and how this setup was. So tell us about the old architecture at Zomato before DBZM and some of the st- issues you were seeing as well.
5: Yes yeah, sure. So as explained by Gunnar and Ulher, the pain point and the benefits of the CDC and how the division this we at Zomato, were also facing this problem like uh, we were using scoop, as you can see in the architecture diagram yeah. to basically uh, dump the data and do some transformation on it like masking the field or basically transforming some fields from one form to another. And then basically storing it into an S3 for further processing by Trino or other engines. But the main issue in here is that you cannot basically uh, guarantee the latency as mentioned by Gunnar, like for two seconds, you will get the changes. Like you may miss the delete event because scoop yeah. can never capture uh any basically pull-based method cannot capture the delete events or any updates like. If you are pulling every 10 minutes yeah. and yeah. there are 10 updates, you will miss all of them. Yeah. You will only get the final state. Yep. Yeah. So you're like, and also basically, scoop is a query base. Basically, it will fire up a query on your database. So yeah. it also increases a uh, load on your databases. Yep. Yeah. And one more pain point that I will add, like to address is that. With Scoop, there is always a business intrusion. By business intrusion, I means it needs uh, updated at type of field. Like yeah. you need to know from when you want to pull the data. Yeah. If you want to do an incremental sync. Yeah. And with incremental sync, there come more problem with Hive. As yeah. you have covered in, I think, two or three talks about with the blue cat one and the yeah. with Ryan talks yeah so yeah so these were the pain points that we were facing in the old flow so we wanted to minimize the latency between the our databases and our analytics platform so action can be taken on the change data set yeah and we were looking for something more easy to use infrastructure like gunnar mentioned configuration based. like users have to basically give a json Yep. and submitted to Kafka Connect. And now with there is a new basically tool that Debisium has released that Debyzium UI is there. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> there is, uh, without even JSON, you basically navigate oh. through the UI <laughs> and put your configuration. So it is more easy to basically. Munar, and, this and sounds new. awesome. Yeah, Thank you talk you. about
1: this? It's, you talk? Yeah. it's
5: great you mentioned it, Ayush.
3: You know, it's so, it's so new, I completely forgot about it.
1: <laughs> so what's, so tell, tell us about it. Yeah, I'm actually kind of curious because this sounds like it's a in terms of deployment and, and keeping things up to date. I think DBT also is like like going into a UI type driven updates on these things. So, yeah. so what does DBZM UI help Yeah, us?
3: so, you know, we are still finding our ways right now. It is, again, a separate Process which you would start up in your own container or however you want to do it. And it just it talks to Kafka Connect using the Kafka Connect REST API. Uh-huh. But then we uh, try not to have like a dump. UI, which just is like a form for your for your properties, but we want to do a little bit more. For instance, you have this notion of uh, table filters in uh, Diffusion. So yeah. there, you select which are your tables you're capturing. Well, typically, you don't want to capture all your tables. Maybe just a subset. What are your schemas? Maybe you maybe you do it on a schema basis. And setting up those filters, it can be an error-prone task, and you might miss, uh, you know, the right tables. Maybe you set up a filter, and by uh, accident, you exclude everything because you have a typo and yeah. you don't capture a single table. So yeah. for instance, what we do is we give you a preview, you specify your filters, and then we will tell you, okay, so those are the tables you will capture with that particular filter. So it's that kind of thing, which is done Visium UI. Maybe we could also deploy it into Kafka Connect. Um, yeah. There's a way how you can deploy custom REST endpoints
1: there. Um, but for now, it's its own process. Nice. Well very good to know. Yeah. So so Ayush, you, you are using this at Zamato now? Let's let's actually jump uh, quickly into uh so this was the yeah. old way, right? And now
2: this
1: yeah. is this is the future. So You're using this now at uh, uh Zamato uh with the with the UI and everything.
5: Yeah, we are slowly uh, not with the UI. We are basically still finding the way with the UI. Okay. Like they are still they are we are basically doing POC and how the UI will fit in our basically onboarding process For cool. now we are also m- moving with the JSON okay. project, but yeah, UI is the something we have eye, our eye on. Like this is something that will be moved on future. Cool. Yeah. So tell yeah, us so now, so like, we,
1: we source from DB, from DBZ and from all of these different yeah. sources and it goes into Kafka, um, yeah. you use Flink. Why, what, what, what made you use Flink?
5: So, like, uh, like the Gunnar explained, like there is a certain, uh, basically, semantics for the output generated by the Kafka Connect of Devizium. Yeah. Uh, there is a before and after format. So, uh, we after the data was there in our Kafka, we were looking for the processing engine. There were two options. Like, you can do the processing with the Spark Streaming or the Flink. But we went with Flink. Uh, there were two reasons. Like where there are certain pipelines already running on uh, flink so we were already familiar with flink and also yeah. flink understand the semantics of no, great. so user don't have to basically we don't have to be uh, spe- uh, do the developer part for understanding the debisium semantics like it will uh, understand and pass the data on the basis of dev semantics and give us the basically a stream of uh, update, delete, and insert. Mm-hmm. And we can use that stream and do further, basically, transforming in the masking part, oh, basically, cool. which uh, means to us like we want to do something like transformation. on But we don't have to spend much time on the semantics part. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So
1: That's
4: super add cool. a bit on uh, what semantics Ayush just talking about. Uh, BCM since it can also capture deletes, uh, it's yeah. uh, really powerful. So one thing uh, that uh, people do is that uh, for example if you want to create a materialized view of all the changes that happened in your database mm-hmm. on something like uh, your data lake side for example s3 or iceberg then what you can do is that uh, you can configure whatever stream processing engine you're using to treat each delete event as uh, as something which will Mark a record as deleted. Yeah. So uh, in the final table that you have on uh, S3 or iceberg or wherever you want to keep it, yeah. you you can create a view which will filter out yeah. those records and you will get exactly the same set of data which lives in the yeah. source system. So and I believe have, iceberg
1: iceberg has like that little that yeah. capability, right? It's just a flag. Yeah. That you yeah. Said. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So it's so it, it like up in- what,
3: one sentence. What is iceberg? I, I've heard so many things about, it, but what, what does it really do? You, who
1: wants to? I, I can answer that, or why don't we? I use you, you can answer that, and I'll see if I want to add anything in there.
5: Uh, basically, as you will be familiar with the Hive, like it's a de facto standard for storing the metadata information. Like Hive is coming out with all the pros, all the cons that Hive basic, all the pain points that Hive has. Iceberg is basically covering them and is coming out as a basically a query, oh, not a query as a storage format. Yeah, so and a storage
1: format to be clear, there uh, it's a table table format versus yeah, yeah, like, but don't don't think about like a ORC or anything like that. This is actually yeah. talking about the metadata of the uh, of the Management table. Of metadata, yeah. yeah.
3: So my data lives yeah. in the end of the day, it lives in S three or something like that.
1: Yeah, your yeah, metadata all... and your data live both both live in S three. Um, there are there's currently some uh, like uh, pointers that uh, exist in in the Hive metastore that still kind of uh, exists there, but for the most part, majority of the tables that were like sitting in a Hive metastore, that, those now uh, have been propagated out to a persistent tree structure that that. Uh, um that's basically a a meta store uh it's it's like a metadata tree structure that lives um in the s3 buckets and everything itself and where Hive was kind of more angled to like model things for like a file system like HDFS. Um, Iceberg fixes a lot of those issues now where they're modeling things more for object stores and not trying to do these like crazy list operations that used to occur for like the file system uh-huh. in, in HDFS. That was causing all sorts of like performance degradation on on when you moved some sort of like Hive table format out to the cloud. Uh, so, so this is like, Iceberg is essentially you can think about it as a as a quick as like a not a quick but a, a pretty. Much- such a good replacement um, that has an open standard, uh, whereas they had like kind of an invisible standard with Hive. They have an open standard that's like, you know, being contributed by uh, everybody in the Iceberg community and it's mm. much more open and, and able to be updated. So um, okay. this is like another parallel that's, you know, also being introduced and similarity to Iceberg is like uh, Delta uh, Lake or um, what's the uh, Delta, <laughs> think Delta Lake. Delta Lake. Delta Lake. Yeah, Delta Lake is um, is, is uh, being created by um, <laughs> the Spark people. Databricks. Yeah, Databricks, that's the way I could come up with the company. <laughs> um, da- Databricks is, is, has created Delta Lake. That's like a more proprietary format and okay. not, not as open. And then you also have Hootie, which was uh, another open sourced one, but they don't have an open... The, the thing I, I wasn't particularly fond of with them is they didn't open source any particular format around them. So, Iceberg is, in my personal opinion, going to be basically the future. And okay. so, we're, we're, we're placing our bets on for the future table format. Sorry, I didn't. So, and I used
4: to uh, And for people who are coming from the debasium side of things who might not be familiar with uh, data warehouses, you can think of Iceberg as similar to what your. Information schema views are in uh-huh. a normal relational yeah. database, so it basically tracks information about what uh, columns are there, where the actual data files are stored, okay. and so, uh, yeah. how
5: all the metrics analysis. and all information okay. about it. Yeah. Cool, yeah. nice. I need to, to
1: check it
5: out. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> one one
1: of those days where I have. Plenty of time. I need to check it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can. I can send you a couple of blogs, uh, Gunnar. I think. I I'll break it down. Uh, I broke down a, a couple of the things, and awesome. it's coming yeah, from I the see. Hive perspective. But as long as you kind of understand what Hive Hive models doing, this will make a lot of sense, and, ta- and talks about immediately what it solves. But yeah. yeah. So so uh, um, back to you, Ayush. Like so, you know, Flink has obviously obviously a lot of good compatibility with Iceberg as well, and then yeah. so you're actually taking these. These deletes and all of these kind of maybe even updates uh, that's coming in, yeah. and you're you're doing some sort of processing before it gets into iceberg.
5: Yeah, basically like uh, transforming and masking some PII information
1: ah, okay. and all
5: that before saving it into the iceberg.
1: Got got it. Okay, great. Yeah. And so once it's an iceberg, then it's in it's practically like you know yeah for, for, for the take. Once for Trino, it's an right?
5: iceberg, it is available for querying using Trino. Yeah. As it is very easy to as a, add a iceberg catalog in Trino and then awesome. you are able to query. But yeah, still there you will. Currently, we have to basically, there is a one hope also between querying the data using Trino because currently, just uh, last week, Iceberg has uh, released a point 12 where they have finally opened the do spec. So, and Trino. Currently, don't support the V2 spec. Uh, by V2 yeah. spec, I mean that currently it does not understand the data delete files now. Yep. yeah.
1: So, so, so how do you handle that in the in the interim right now? Yeah, because we are working on some of those changes, but they're they're they are in
5: process. So in Iceberg, there is a feature called incremental scale. Basically, from in that feature, you can oh, basically. You can uh, get the data between two snapshots since okay. Iceberg, uh, uh, Iceberg store all the commits. By commit, I mean like in Flink, there is a checkpoint interval, and that which it creates the metadata for that duration. And for each commit, it creates a new snapshot in Iceberg table. Yeah. So you can basically do an incremental scan between two snapshots, and there you will have a using I. Uh, currently we are doing it using spark. Basically we do the incremental scan and then mm-hmm. insert into a final table, which gotcha. is the updated where it has filter out the deleted entries and updated fields. So it gives the mm-hmm. final view. To give some people uh, that are listening in that don't know much about Iceberg
1: as well, uh, just like Gunnar, <laughs> there are uh, we did two previous episodes, uh, fourteen and fifteen, um, on Iceberg, and, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> and so we also have uh, previous episodes where we talk with David as well as the creator of Iceberg on the fifteenth episode, uh, Ryan Ryan Blue, and he he goes into a lot of details about these these snapshotting yeah. and and how all of, all of this is implemented. So if you want to learn more about that, we don't we don't have time really to really to dig into that today. And there's also on uh, episode 19, where Corey is talking a little bit about that. I also referenced all of my blogs where I kind of dig mm-hmm. into the deep technical details of how I, Iceberg uh, supports this transactionality. So um, so, we'll, so we'll, uh, we'll leave that for another one. So maybe if I
3: just can add one thing, which might be interesting. So I just learned, uh, so we have this Debezium server thing, which I mentioned. And again, there's a sort of a plugin API where it can implement, you know, adapters for all those different things like Kinesis, Pulsar, and so on. And actually somebody implemented an adapter for Iceberg. So this means yeah. they can use Debezium server and take the events straight from, you know, their database into Iceberg and they wouldn't even have to go through a Kafka yeah. Pulsar or whatever. Yeah. But that's pretty that cool. It was to a see. very
5: pretty cool project. Uh, yeah. I was looking at the progress they are making. It's a pretty neat. Yeah. Like you just submit a connector, and then you are able to query your data using Trino. Right.
1: Yeah, maybe Gunnar will have to pull you on uh, when when we get you all up to speed on Iceberg, and and then we we uh, we get some time to pull together a, a little bit of a demo. Maybe we can oh, yeah. uh, pull, pull a cool demo together, and uh, and then you know get in some more nitty gritty Trino plus. Uh, plus uh iceberg plus trino uh, s- uh scenarios here
3: definitely yeah. that would be awesome
1: would be a lot of fun um okay uh well I uh, usually tell us uh, any any final statements about kind of what um you know uh what what uh how, how all of this kind of resolves some of the issues with, with you or any final uh thoughts about your architecture you wanted to leave us with
5: uh, so it basically reduces the latency between the your source database and your fine uh, the analytics platform, and also basically it allows handling the deletes, reducing loads on your system. Yeah. And basically, as you can see the architecture diagram, it's everything is plug and play. Yeah, like Kafka Connect is plug and play. Your Kafka cluster is also plug and play. You can use yeah. Flink and then Iceberg. So, everything is basically plug and play and stateless. So, yep. it's not like one thing is. So, yeah, pretty. I think with the yeah, Devizium and iceberg, things are going pretty good for the data warehouse.
1: Awesome. That's
4: yeah. an important point Ayush brings up regarding this mechanism of doing things that if any component in your system breaks down, you can easily. Wait for some time, restart it back up, and it will pick up where it left off. So you won't lose any data. The only thing will happen is that uh, some data might not be as fresh, but eventually it will catch up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like that uh, change log. Uh, it's like, again, we were talking about this as making a giant database. This is essentially, you know, the, the, record, the, the record change log that we have now sitting in Kafka uh, to, to keep, uh, you know, if, if, if uh, the horrible, something horrible happens along the way, then, uh, you know, it's just gonna, you just boot it back up, get it back online, and then it'll catch up uh, over time. It's fantastic. Yeah. Very cool, and I'm I'm hoping we see these patterns uh, kind of uh, uh, start to surface more and more. Um, but, uh, anyways, we'll uh, we'll keep everybody else posted. Uh, hopefully, yeah, anybody that's interested in trying this out, uh, reach out to us. Let us know if you're if you're uh, thinking about implementing this, and we'll we'll start we'll start trying to bring Gunnar and everybody else, uh, all of our minds into to get everybody up and running on uh, this kind of cool architecture as well as Ayush and Ashar. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, definitely. Well, uh, With that, uh, why don't we head on to the uh, PR of the week. All right, so... um PR of the week this week is uh, PR4140. Uh, this was actually the one we talked about a little bit earlier, Ashar, uh, when we were uh, talking about some of the stuff yeah. that came out um, this this 361. Um, this was implemented by Elon. Uh, uh, so I'm going to screw up his last name, but he's a lie. I was, a lie. A <laughs> I'll have to ask him how he pronounces his last name at some point. Um, but uh, Elon is uh, is our pretty much, I think, soul. Possibly the sole contributor right now of Pino connector uh, for Trino. Uh, if not, if I, not
4: sole, I think he's the most prolific and the yeah. Most, uh, I would say de facto maintainer for the Pino.
1: Definitely, character. and he he's a huge Trino fan. I think he knew Martin Dane and David back when they were at Facebook. He was also at Facebook at the time. And so, um, so, yeah, so they, they, they go back a long ways and uh, he's working for a, a stealth mode startup uh, that is currently implementing Pino plus Trino as well. And so, you know, he, he gets a lot of chances to, um, to implement a lot of these features as part of his work for, for what they're implementing there uh, with kind of this real time uh, capabilities on it. So look at this uh, PR of the week. Oh, and I have incorrectly, uh, we got 4140. I have not updated this one yet. Let me quickly 4149. And I uh, let's see 4140 actually. So let's. I'm doing all all the bad things today. Here, yeah. let's see. So
4: for uh, people who might be looking from the debating side of things, uh, aggregation pushdown might be something unfamiliar to them. So yeah, one of the things that Trino does is that. Uh, It understands that not all operations make sense to do in a remote system. Some things can be done better at the source. So for example, if you have an index on a column, it might be better to perform the filtering within that database itself. So aggregation is simply saying that uh, if you have any aggregation functions which uh, the underlying system supports, we will perform those aggregations in the underlying system rather than bringing all the raw data to Trino and then doing those applications. So that will really give you better speed and also saves up with network transfer and latency.
1: And and one important thing to point out out here too is that it is enabled by default. If for for whatever reason you wanted to disable that, uh, you know, you you could. there's very few reasons why I think you'd want to disable that. Um, possibly, you know, you don't want to put as big of a load on your Pinot cluster, and you want to actually keep the load on Trino. That That is an option there. Uh, but in most cases, in you know, if you want performance, uh, you're really getting a lot. I mean, one of the big things that Pinot and, and other real-time systems like it does, is that it is, is you know, able to do a lot of these kind of olap type queries very efficiently particularly ones that are involving these these type of count av- average min max uh, type type things they've already kind of pre-aggregated these these things and developed some sort of a, a cube of sorts you know a logical cube and so that all of those ag- answers are already there so when you push it down you're actually just kind of tapping into you know to some dimensionality you know you're, you're lessening the dimensionality that needs to get uh, the query run and so unless you're you know, just 100% not wanting to run it against Pino, which kind of defeats the purpose in my opinion. Uh, maybe for certain areas you, you, you don't want to. Um, you know, you could even temporarily disable it in the session property and maybe, you know, temporarily run it on Trino. But for the most part, I think you're going to want to take advantage of this because it's going to be way faster. It's going to not have to put as much, uh, you know, load on the Trino side. And then you're just going to basically get the answer back and then, you know, join it or merge it in with whatever data that Trino is going to merge it with. So it's so a huge, huge, huge thing there. And I, we want to say huge thanks to Elon for all the work he does in, in the Pinot Connector, as well as just, you know, uh, in, in general for the, the project uh, overall. So um, so with that, uh, let's move right on uh, to the next one. Actually, before I hop on, uh, Ashar, did you have anything else you wanted to say about this particular one? What, was there any issues uh, getting this uh, merged in or any interesting things we uh, want to know there's
4: one thing which uh, people using pino might want to be aware of is that uh, uh, we uh, intentionally don't push down count count queries on a particular column because okay. the semantics differ between trino and uh, pino so count on a column generally means you want to count all the non null values while pino treats ah. as a count star so This is something that uh, Yeah. So we are looking at ways in which we can rewrite the query so that the operation is effectively the same and it still gets pushed down. But this is one thing to be aware
1: of. Is this just a difference between like Pino has its own version of SQL, right? That's so it's kind of one of those Uh, not anti SQL things.
4: Yeah, I think a lot of the systems have different semantics. So for, uh, for example, Druid also does things a bit differently for uh, yeah. average, for example. Mm-hmm. And in, some, in most of the cases, you are able to rewrite the query in a way so that you would get the same semantics as Pino does. And it's important because if you are only using Pino, you maybe do not care about it. But if you're trying to join Pino data against MySQL, for example. You would not want uh, the two different semantics to lead to incorrect results. So gotcha. we try to make sure that everything that uh, reaches Trino has consistent semantics.
1: Got it. Okay. All right. Well, um, with that, uh, let's. Uh, uh, thanks again for uh, Elon. Thanks also, Ashar. I know you. Do, you were one of the uh, reviewers in that uh, PR. So thank you as well. Uh, we don't. We don't think our our maintainers and reviewers uh, of all these PRs as <laughs> well. It's also just as almost as much of a pain as it is to write it in the first place. It's it's uh, just uh, le- slightly less pain to actually have to go and review it as well. So uh, uh, I, I think you all uh, also thank uh, Pratham for reviewing my, my uh, PR for, that got in this last one as well. So um, anyways, with that, let's go on to the question of the week. OK, so uh, this question of the week uh, came from a Stack Overflow post. Uh, we'll link that one in the show notes uh, came from Brian Hudson. Um, and uh, oh, sorry, this was not from Stack Overflow. This is from Slack. Uh, so thanks, Brian Hudson and Slack channel. Yes, um, a pretty like a. Uh, one of those cool SQL questions that kind of make you think like what's the best way to implement this and uh, Kasia actually uh, had a pretty cool answer to this so um so he he wanted to know if I have like you know basically a row that has like let's say some identifying like id or something like that or some numeric value and then like you know other values blah blah blah, blah and then like but I have this one row or this one, sorry, column that is, uh, you know, a, a list of arrays and getting back to something we had talked about before. This is something that's pretty common in like when you're querying like a, like a document data store, things like that, because uh, you know, again, you have a lot of nested fields in there. Um, also is pretty common in like, you know, uh, your S3 stuff because they they support arrays and things like that. So if you want to actually like kind of um uh pull that that data out a uh, very useful uh semantic uh or uh, basically useful uh sql statement it's called a nest and so you can use this a nest on a on an array column and uh basically what it does is it will pull out uh the, those columns and just kind of pivot it onto a, a set of rows and so uh, basically what uh um K- kasha did is to keep the original columns you um you can do uh this um, uh, select uh, and join against the original table. So it just basically does uh, from T joining on the unnested uh, uh, column T.Y. And then you basically can expose that as a second table T2. And then now you you basically join these. Uh, and, and she did, um, this is one thing I'm not sure of. I need to ask her this if there's a particular reason. I think there's been maybe a performance reason, but she did a join unnest on true. Versus, I think that's essentially equivalent to a cross join. But I'm wondering if there's a performance thing that that she's tapping into there, or if she just did it that way. That's a
4: pretty good question.
1: (laughs) I'm actually not sure. So maybe she did it that way. It's essentially a cross join. Um, semantically, it's it's just a slightly different thing. Possibly in the implementation, there was a reason why she did it this way, um, but but you could do it either way, and and maybe there's a, a reason in performance why you do it one way or the other. But you do a cross join there, and then you ultimately get the uh, the final table back, which is going to be the original uh, columns. And then that's joined with all of the uh, tables that you just did the pivot on. So very elegant solution, uh, as as usual, that we get from Kasia and um, always uh, really getting these ones. And so I think actually Barton, uh, one of the uh, people working with Manfred, uh, was was commenting, this is one thing we might end up adding into the docs. So so again, really cool kind of way that uh, all of this stuff uh, pulls around. So um, yeah, so that was the question of the week. Um, Manfred, did you... uh, have any any uh, uh, input on that? You look like you're about to say something.
0: Uh, no, no, it just looks interesting. Uh, one thing that I observed is the query that you have above where you have one, two, three. Yeah. Or like like you have one, two, one. Mm-hmm. That's not the same query below in the example. So if you look at the, at the top query, don't get confused by the result at the bottom. <laughs> where did I do that? Let's see. Well, it has something. values one array, two array, like oh, QRS. That was my CD. playing around <laughs> with it.
1: <laughs> I'll fix that in the, yeah, I'll fix that in the show notes before I, I put I put this out. I was just, I was playing around with it myself before I actually added it to the show notes. So the original query, uh, when you see it, just look in the show notes, uh, it, will, it will have the original thing, the original solution wow. that Kasia uh, had, had included. So my apologies there
0: <laughs> so. i'm just scratching my head a bit there
1: <laughs> yeah 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 no, was good good uh good good uh, thing to mention all right cool well that was our show uh anybody have anything they'd like to mention before we hop off
3: Cool. Maybe one closing thought. I mean, because this has been on my mind lately a lot. So, what I like on a meta level, what I like about all the things that kind of it tears down the wall between OLTP and OLAP, right? You use uh, those things like Debezium, Pino, no. Trino, and it enables you this sort of user facing analytics um, where you can actually go to Trino or go to your uh, data warehouse, whatever it is, and also have user facing stuff there, right? Which you couldn't do in the past. And it gets enabled by Debezium, it gets then leveraged by those great technologies technologies like um, uh, Trino. And I'm really super excited to see this because it enables tons of opportunities, which I believe we didn't have in the past.
1: Totally. Yeah. yeah. That's a yeah. really good point. This is a, uh, is uh, is like the, one of the most amazing little bridges that takes us from OLTP, uh, your kind of operational data brings it into analytics and then, you know, lands, lands us into uh, right. being able to uh, connect it all. So very cool. It's
4: also pretty useful for people who use, uh, Trino, but uh, for some reason, they think, uh, for example, one of their one of their posters catalogs is something that they use heavily, and they want to turn it into an iceberg table, for example, to get better performance. And yep. Debezium would help them a lot in doing that. Yeah. Totally. So you could get the best of both worlds, analytics as well as... Right. Well,
3: yeah. It kind of converges, I, I feel, and that's really exciting to see.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Ayush Ashar and Gunnar, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was great having you, and I think we're definitely going to have to do more episodes like this in the future, uh, getting more diving into more how-to's and tutorials and how to get people up and started on this stuff. But this was, I think, a good breaking into uh, this this interesting pattern that we're starting to see in the uh, in the uh, uh, open source side of things. So, uh, thank you so much for for joining us today, and uh, we'll definitely be seeing you soon in the future. I'm sure. Thank you so much. Thank fun. you so much <laughs> for having me. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Bye-bye. See you later. Bye, everyone. Music for the show is from the Mega Man 6 gameplay album by Shishtaf Swabikowski. Don't forget to give us a star on the Trino repository at github.com forward slash Trino forward slash Trino. And for more information on future shows and to find show notes, check out trino.io forward slash broadcast.